Before we get started with the show today, I have a favor to ask. There's a couple super simple things that you could do if you're a fan of this podcast to help new people find it. And if you could do those things, I would be super appreciative. Those things are, one, rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you're on Apple Podcasts right now, it's super easy. You can just go to the show page and scroll down to the bottom. It's very easy to give it a rating and write a little review if you want to do that. And the other thing you could do is share it on social media or tell a friend. If you could do any or all of those things, I would be super, super thankful. And with that, let's get on with the show today. You are listening to Rootbound, a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside. Rootbound is once again brought to you by rain. It's not only in the plains of Spain, rain's domain is all terrain. Rain! It's water from the sky. Greetings to all of you, and thank you for listening to yet another episode of Rootbound. My name is Steve. And today, on the interview segment of the podcast, we're going to be talking about houseplants a bit. And that got me thinking about the history of houseplants. I was curious, when did we start bringing plants indoors? And so I was starting to research a little bit, and I, I guess I was a little surprised to understand. Maybe I shouldn't have been surprised, but I was a little surprised to understand how old the practice of having plants indoors is. Um, perhaps the very first account is the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, which apparently are actually kind of apocryphal. We don't know if those hanging gardens really existed or they're just a story or, or a, a mix, a mishmash of other stories. But there's definitely some accounts of plants being indoors and out at the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. But definitely the first documented uh, accounts of indoor plants come from the practices of Penjing in China, bonsai in Japan, and Han Non Bo from Vietnam. These are those practices of uh, growing trees and other plants and keeping them small and pruning them in special ways so they stay small to simulate the effect of a large tree in plants, um, but small and indoors. So those are the, definitely the first accounts of houseplants. But the style of keeping plants that most of us, I think, are familiar with today is traced back to the Victorian era when people who lived in London were traveling around the world and bringing plants back with them. And I think also around that same time is when we started to get better at building bigger windows and bigger pieces of glass. And so being able to have more light come indoors made it easier to uh, have houseplants indoors. And then the one little thing stuck out to me in the Wikipedia about houseplants, which is a good read if you should check it out, um, was about a gentleman named Nathaniel Bagshaw Ward. And he invented what he called the Wardian case. And the reason he invented this is he was having some trouble with plants that he was bringing back from other places around the world. And here's a little quote from his book, which was called, On the Growth of Plants in Closely Glazed Cases. He says, in consequence, however, the volumes of smoke issuing from surrounding manufactories, my plants soon began to decline and ultimately perished, all my endeavors to keep them alive proving fruitless. So essentially, the air quality in London in the mid-1800s was so bad that uh, a lot of plants just died. 
And so he had this idea to build a glass case and keep the plants inside these glass cases, which essentially is that idea of a terrarium. Um, and modern terrariums uh, link back to the idea of the Wardian case. So I thought that was very interesting. But now it's time to get onto our interview segment and to learn a bit more about houseplants and one cool houseplant in particular. Here we go. All across the land, plant shops have sprouted, and no home or office is complete without its Dracaena or Boston fern. Hi, Shirley. How's it going? So good today. How are you? I'm doing very well. Do you have a plant to share with us today? Yeah. So I picked the Monstera. Monstera deliciosa is a big plant, one of the first plants that I ever got for my apartment. And um, since I got that plant, that was my uh, kind of dipping my feet into plants and being really passionate and energetic about them. Uh, since then, I've gotten Monstera Adansoni, which is one with really big holes, uh, like even larger holes than the Deliciosa. I got one with an albino variegation, the Albo. That's just one with albino leaves mm. and a lot of other ones. Um, so Letriana, maybe, et So, you know, I, I have to admit, I have a podcast about plants, but this is the first house plant that we've covered on the podcast. And also... I think one, I mean, you might have a solution to this. One, I don't have a lot of houseplants. One, I feel like, I feel like I've not been very good with houseplants. Also, I have cats, uh, which you can see in my video, and they tend to mess up the plants. Um, so I'm, I'm going to learn a lot about houseplants from you. But I know the Monstera, because I'm on like Instagram, that is like the uh, houseplant. And what is it about Monstera that, that you are drawn to and what it seems like lots of other houseplant fans are drawn to? Well, you mentioned Instagram, and I particularly think that it's a really photogenic plant. Um, mm -hmm. I have a background as a photographer, and so I used to style plants in scenes for photo shoots. And one of the things I saw about the Monstera work, besides that it was in all these photo studios, is the symmetry of the leaves, how big they get. So if you have a mm -hmm. scene, it really reads. I think that's why it's so popular on Instagram. And... Um, also, because the leaves split, it makes a great, like, geometric, symmetrical shape. Mm -hmm. So for the visually inclined people like me, um, it's a really uh, beautiful plant to get attached to. And then, you know, get into houseplants. But I wasn't always into houseplants, too. I was into fruits and vegetables for a really long time, gardening uh -huh. with my father. Yeah. Okay. And so, uh, Oh, go ahead, please. I, so I've always had a little bit of a green thumb. Uh -huh. It wasn't until um, being at home more when I left my corporate job and for an extended period of time, spent a lot of time at home that I got into houseplants, things that could really thrive without having to go somewhere else or, you know, visit home a lot. Yeah, that, that makes sense. What, what you said earlier about the monstera being very photogenic. I think I never thought about it this way before, but I'm also kind of a photographer and actually taking plants in the wild, often the way their leaves like interfere with each other, like photographically, it's kind of hard to see the details. Like it's hard to like actually get an image because they're, they're not as like, they don't have as many clean lines like this monstera does. Right. I think that I never thought about it by the way, that makes a lot of sense about why they're popular because 
it's easier to take a good photograph of the whole plant. Is that, does it make sense? Do I, am I, am I getting yeah. that? Right? Yeah. Yeah. I um, photographed uh, for the New York times, um, Isaiah Hernandez uh, uh-huh. with his big, big Monstera. And I didn't plan that when uh-huh. I got to his house um, to do his portraits um, my background being as a portrait photographer, I, uh, I saw the giant monster and I was like, Oh my God, we're, you've heard of tree hugging. We're, we're plant hugging today. <laughs> so photogenic. Uh, um, yeah. Awesome. Um, I wonder if you know this, the question I also had when I was looking at they like thinking about this and I see the hashtag monstera deliciosa all the time. Do you know why it's called deliciosa? I don't, it's not edible from as far as I understand. Well, they, they do fruit. Oh. And that's a fun fact that I wanted to share with you. Oh, is please. They do fruit. They grow in tropical weather. And um, they apparently the fruit tastes like a pineapple, mm. a banana, mango, jackfruit. It has that kind of family wow. of taste. So they are um, deliciosa. They're apparently deliciosa as well. Um, wow. I've never tried it, but... Uh, I would if I knew where to find its fruit. I don't know if mine will ever fruit. It might be too young to Interesting. fruit that way. Yeah, I've never. I wonder. I wonder if because you know I've never heard of that. I wonder if one they're much older in the wild before they fruit, or also maybe just the the life of a house plant doesn't lead it to that you know world of fruiting. Yeah, that that's really interesting. I did not know that they had a fruit. And do, do you know if all the monstera is, uh, fruit as well? I don't know that all of them fruit, but the Deliciosa definitely does. And a lot of people propagate these from cuttings right at the nodes or like the, these joints mm-hmm. on them. One of the reasons I think they're really popular too is they're really easy. It's a really resilient plant. Mm-hmm. So if you cut it at the node, uh, they root really strong roots. And you put them in the soil, they just root very strong and easily um, on photo sets. What we would do is prune them to be the most symmetrical photogenic, mm-hmm. make sure they do get a little crazy, but uh, you know, it does what it wants and we'll kind of beautify it mm-hmm. by taking off some of the, um, the excess depending on what kind of image we want to get. But um, the, the ones that we cut off always grow oh, better okay. and oh, easier yeah. Yeah, and the mother plant doesn't get any less photogenic because it's incredibly resilient as a yeah. plant. It's oh, not wow. delicate. It's not fragile, which I like. Okay, well, let's talk about the cat thing because I'm always worried about my cats eating plants and like having some kind of toxicity thing. What you have a cat and you have house plants. Um, have you had to deal with any of that stuff? Yeah. So luckily, we've had our cat Durley, <laughs> Shirley, and Durley. We've had <laughs> Durley since she was a kitten, since she was born, and. From very early on, we trained her with, you know, um, there are sprays that they make Mm -hmm. for cats uh, for not gnawing on furniture, Mm -hmm. on on house plants. They don't, the sprays are made, we got natural sprays, so they Mm -hmm. don't actually Mm -hmm. harm plants. Um, And so just, she grew up just staying away from that stuff. It helps to really nurture that sort of restraint at the beginning yeah that's why i feel very lucky i didn't um train her specifically for my house plans but i knew what to do uh so that she wouldn't 
go near the houseplants once I started collecting more plants. Um, also being a houseplant person, I have a, a terrarium, like a oh, like cool. a mini greenhouse that I DIY'd from a uh, from like an IKEA uh-huh. cabinet. With- I've seen that stuff, and honestly, I've been very curious about trying that myself because it looks so cool. It is really cool, and it you know monsteras really like humidity, mm-hmm. um, and since I have so many different varieties of monstera, um, I weatherproofed this cabinet. It's glass, so it takes in it takes in all of the window sunlight, mm-hmm. um, and that's, that's how I'm. Yeah, that's how I'm able to be in the New York City area and have like forty plants. Yeah, wow, that's awesome. Um, <laughs> Back back to the name we talked about Deliciosa, but Monstera also is an interesting name. You know that for me it, it, it's like a monster. Uh, <laughs> but but you know do you know anything about that name? I I also think it's uh it's like a monster. It <laughs> it, it climbs up trees in the oh, wild. Interesting. Um, that's why uh, the monsteras that I have, I put a little moss pole in the middle of it, a moss pole that I just spray to keep humid mm-hmm. because. You know, trees are mossy in the rainforest. It loves to climb. It loves to grow near the the, the wet. Uh, you know, sometimes it's bark, uh-huh. or sometimes it's it's bark covered with moss. Uh huh. What what yeah. part of the world are they f- actually originally from? Monsteras. They're 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 a tropical plant. Mm-hmm. So I would say um, I want to say like South America. Mm-hmm. I don't know for sure, though. Yeah, no. Uh, well, we'll we'll look it up. If, <laughs> yeah. Um, I wonder. I I uh, I it is interesting that a lot of houseplants, at least for my for my like limited house uh, plant knowledge, tend to be these tropical plants. And it's interesting. It seems like they have a bit more, um, like they're hardier plants. It's pretty interesting. I would say that. Uh, our outdoor conditions for most people, at least in, in, uh, where I am like North America or something like that. Um, houseplants do love this, uh, like 70 degrees, like the same mm-hmm. sorts of temperatures that we love as opposed to outdoor plants, which can kind of flex with the seasons go, mm-hmm. um, you know, from spring to autumn, these kind of like a really consistent temperature. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I think that's part of it because most of the time inside our house, it's closer to a more consistent temperature than that. That makes sense. I'm, I'm also just speculating here, but it totally makes sense now that you've opened my mind to houseplants. Also, if they're a jungle plant, they're beneath this canopy. And so they're probably much better at dealing with lower light, like not being in direct sunlight. They got those big yeah. leaves. So they got the big solar panels yeah. so they can collect a little bit of light. Yeah. yeah really interesting. Actually, a monstera. Uh, my friend gave me a monstera, and uh, he also got himself one. And mine was doing better than his. And he was like, "Oh my gosh, these leaves are turning black. I don't know what to do." And it turns out uh, he had them in direct sunlight, and they can get sunburned because, oh, wow. yeah, in the rainforest there is a lot of cover. There's a lot of canopy. They do love indirect light. So he moved rooms he moved his monstera to a different room and it thrived oh wow very interesting uh speak speaking of um trading plants with friends you have this project that i just learned about that's called choosy that's about plant trading maybe you could tell me a little bit about that i just just kind of like 
you know, went over the surface of the website. I'm very curious about it. Sounds cool. Yeah. So uh, before I became a professional photographer, I got my degree in computer science and um, I had been looking for a new project uh, and I was inspired to create a mobile app. I, over the past two years, I've collected like 50 plants and I realized that there were a lot of apps out there for people that collect like comic books, like sneakers, things with serial numbers. Um, and uh, there wasn't anything for people that like to collect beautiful decorative things. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm starting, a, I'm launching a beta soon and that beta is designed for plant collectors and people that collect crystals. So botanicals, minerals, flowers, and uh, rocks. And we'll be expanding on that in in the future. But I'm really excited to launch it. Choosy is... The whole idea behind Choosy is that sharing, showcasing, and buying and selling the things that you know and love is is so fun, almost like a festival or a convention uh, or plant swap for me. Finding rare and uncommon things, or I think that finding rare and uncommon plants is hard to do and really fun, but -hmm. also finding friends that are into that same sort of thing. You know, living in a city is hard to know how many people around me are into the same stuff what if i need a plant sitter or maybe i just want to nerd out uh-huh i mean well you know i started a podcast about plants so i totally get that <laughs> making an excuse to just chat with people about plants uh for sure um do you have any other fun facts or dazzling details about the monstera yeah um well i have another story about you know how this one came to my being actually oh, sure. please yeah last year i quit my corporate job And so I started freelancing, doing photography for different photo studios around the city. Um, And I was, I was, I was working at this one photo studio and I saw a really sad Monstera. It was like we had it there. It was like the Monstera was there to be office decoration, but Mm -hmm. it was just wishing for death. Uh, so I was the only person I remember not that many people being in the office. And so every time I looked at it, I just remember having to, I just remember wanting to revive him. Mm -hmm. So I watered it every week. I even, uh, did the trick where you put a water bottle upside down in Mm -hmm. the container so that it can drink as much water as it wants. Um, And I would prune it so all of its, like, saddest leaves, um, I would take them off. And I had one section that uh, I took home for myself. I just Mm -hmm. took off the the one dead leaf and stuck it in some soil. And then now it has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine leaves. Wow. Um, It just started shooting out from... Just a small section. Like you said, that's about two years that that took to happen? No, it's about, uh, I would say it's about nine months. Nine months, wow. You know, audience, you can't see this um, plant that's in the background of Shirley's image, but it is a beautiful plant with these big leaves. And uh, yeah, wow, that's amazing. Um, A lot of growth. Yeah, 
they started bringing out little baby leaves. And then uh, if you don't know this, uh, some of the more mature leaves on Monstera's actually s- split. So they uh, have leaf fenestrations and, oh. and that means it looks like there are little cuts in the plant. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. And when you first see that, you're like, whoa, what happened? Someone like yes. chew on that plant or something, but yeah, interesting. And then yeah. those eventually could become like a new leaf or they split entirely. Yeah. They could grow new joints and then mm-hmm. new leaves shoot out of those joints. Mostly like a, a lot of other plants and, and trees. I also have a baby one with, um, with like an albino pattern on it. Oh yeah. And really Dara Albo. That's just the same thing as the Deliciosa, but with albinism, uh, oh, wow. streaks of streaks of albinism and um uh, my baby albo plant is i've had him for the same amount of time but uh-huh. the reason that he only has two small baby leaves is i tried to propagate three leaves and unfortunately was unsuccessful oh no because it has albinism um there's less chlorophyll which oh, gives yeah. it less less energy it makes it slightly more delicate and less resilient because it needs energy to grow those uh those beautiful roots and beautiful split leaves so yeah interesting so it is recovering um from the from the cut and not all the cuts end up rooting as easily as just the regular deliciosa but it's more beautiful imagine if you will a future in which we actually exchange information with those beautiful sentinels that surround our lives. Imagine receiving from plants, locked in their own dimension of time and space, a view of our own chaotic world. Well, that is really great. Uh, thank you for sharing your passion for the Monstera with me. Do you mind if I share a plant with you? I don't mind at all. I love to learn about new plants. Awesome. Well, you might, this is not maybe not a new plant, but maybe you'll learn some new things. Because I definitely did. I, you know, the biggest challenge of this podcast is, you know, I have to come up with a new plant every week that I need to talk about. It. It's my it's my real challenge to learn more about plants. It's one of the reasons I did this. And often, you know, they're plants that grow in my garden that I love. And sometimes they're plants I see in a forest. But I'm trying to also look at the plants I kind of overlook and maybe even... Uh, I'm not such a big fan of to try to like discover why, you know, cause I, I think no plant should be disliked, you know? I mean, they, there's some plants that have problems, but trying to understand them. So the plant I chose today is English Ivy, which I actually just learned recently is also commonly used as a house plant. Sometimes I actually didn't know that, but, but the reason I chose it is, you know, it, it, there's kind of twofold is, is going back to my childhood one of the first plants I ever really knew what it was was English ivy because my grandparents' yard in their house when I was a kid, the whole front yard was ivy. And it was this really cool look. And it made it really dark because it climbed up on the walls and it was just really cool. And and so I, I knew what English ivy was since a very, very young age because of that. But now we have a house, I have a garden, and I'm fighting English ivy all the time because it is a very invasive plant. Um... And so it is It is a struggle. But I'll maybe get back to that a little bit at the end. But a few, like, you know, facts here. It's it's uh, Latin name is Hedera helix, which means a climbing plant that spirals. So Hedera is like a Greek for climb or grasp, and helix is, you know, helix. Um, and it will spiral up a tree. Um, 
it is native to Europe, and in Europe, it's not as invasive because it has, you know, there's uh, the deer there eat it, other things, you know, predate on it, and it's, it is much more in harmony. Um, it in its native range, it it is like really important for insects and birds. I saw that it was like you know over seventy different insects uh, are uh, feeding on the nectar, and tons of birds eat the berries. Um, one thing I wasn't aware of too, because you think I you know I think a lot of people think of of ivy is just like this plant that either invades your garden or it's just kind of this like station, stationary house plant. But it, it apparently does have some uh, historical and even current medicinal uses, which I found wow. really interesting. Um, you know, it, it's considered not edible. And if you eat it a lot, it can be toxic. But, I, but it does have this history of being used as a cough medicine and an expectorant. And I found this really interesting quote that is from the European Committee on Herbal Medicine, so an official European body that has concluded that ivy leaf preparations can be used as an expectorant for for productive coughs. So, you know, somewhat endorsed by an official European body. And I think, you know, there are apparently, in, I think that I couldn't find any in the U.S., but there are some like commercial products in Europe that have ivy leaf extract as like a main ingredient. So I was like, oh, wow, that's really interesting. Um, the, the way that ivy climbs I learned is really incredible because I don't know if you ever got up to close to an ivy plant, but it really just grips on to things like really strong and it can climb up walls. And I found this scientific article that explains how it does it. And and one thing that's interesting is it's a plant that its new shoots move away from the sun, which is kind of counterintuitive. Wow. But it's trying to get into any crevices it can to grip on. So that's why when they first come out, it's moving away so it can find a place to like attach to and then little roots will come out of the stems and they will get inside a crevice or anything like that and then the root the root will shape itself inside that cavity to have maximum surface area to that cavity and then that root sends out little root hairs that do that again and they they completely kind of cover as much as possible and then these next two steps were super fascinating to me next after it's it's got as much surface area as possible it releases this essentially glue that's made of these tiny nanoparticles that really attach it. And then the most interesting part is once that glue dries, that drying process shrinks everything. And so it like sucks it even closer and makes this super, super tight attachment. And if you've ever tried to pull English ivy like off of a tree or off of a wall, the way that it attaches is really amazing. So I was really, yeah, really just amazed by that. Um, go ahead. I think ivy is so cool because um, when I look at a building covered with ivy, yeah. it just reminds me of like heritage, you know, about uh -huh. legacy. You know, that's why, you know, we think about the picture that comes to mind is like an old brownstone on a cobblestone street with uh -huh. ivy growing up the sides and around the corners or, you know, attending the Ivy league and living in one of those dorms. Mm -hmm. or <laughs> oh, I didn't think about that connection. It yeah, makes yeah. me feel, uh, it's a sophisticated plant. Yeah. And, it, and it grows, it's civilized. It grows <laughs> with us. Yeah. Yeah. However, there is a catch there, which I didn't know too mm -hmm. recently that you have to be a little careful with its ivies growing on your walls, because if you have too many, actual cracks it can invade those cracks and then spread apart and it can actually do damage to to a property if you're not careful so you have to be aware of where it's growing and i know some people who i was founding some there's a whole website i found that was called fassindengrun which is german for uh green facading 
And it was wow. a whole website about how to grow things on your facade to like, you know, make things beautiful. Um, and, and they talked about that and how you can maybe put some structures on the outside to keep the ivy away from the walls. Or maybe if you have certain kinds of walls, you may not want to choose ivy because of its like ability to get in cracks. But if you, if you have the right property, I mean, it's been uh, growing over buildings for, you know, forever. And in a lot of places in Europe, it's actually a great way to help cool a structure because you have this building now covered with these evergreen leaves. And actually, yeah, it helps regulate the temperature, which I, th I found is really interesting. Um, but on the negative side of, of ivy is it is very evasive in this continent, North America. Um, it, it, you know, can be a big problem. And so I think, I think I've, you know, well, going back to one of my episodes a, a while back, um, my friend Raluca was on talking about corn and talking about how corn kind of is spread around the world and in some ways has not become the best, most healthy thing. But then she said something which I thought was great. She said, but it's not corn's fault. No. You know, we, we did that. And the same thing with Ivy, like Ivy was brought by people. And so I think we just have to like not detest Ivy, but we also need to like make sure that we don't repeat the mistakes. And so I think the key is if you're in North America, probably don't plant Ivy. If you've got a house plant, that's probably okay. But try to avoid planting it, you know, in places where it could get into the wild. But if you live in Europe, it's a cool plant. And I, I really like it. And, you know, I've got it in my yard. I'm going to have to keep pulling it forever, probably. But I, I think through this... Go ahead. I think all the time about how uh, I believe that we could revise some of our society's architectural practices to live more with nature yeah. and to integrate it better into... Uh, into our lives because I think it's a great thing that for example it provides temperature regulation mm -hmm. it also takes like some of that sun that would heat you and mm -hmm. and sort of it would take some of the sun's rays and turn it into energy and yeah. you know uh, re return that energy to the earth and yeah. even if for example if we could make ways to be resilient while integrated with nature, uh, it wouldn't necessarily have to damage our, our homes or houses. Um, and I think there's a lot of innovation happening in that space. Um, and uh, not only in technology, but in art too, thinking about how we design with mm -hmm. nature and thinking about how we can live better and more sustainably as well. Absolutely. I, I totally agree with you. And yeah, for, I mean, a good example of that, and I won't get too much into it because it's a different plant, but my kind of th thinking here is like in on my back fence, there's a lot of ivy. There's also a lot of another, another plant called Virginia creeper and Virginia creeper is a native plant to this part of the country I'm in. And it serves a lot of the same purpose. It's not evergreen. So leaves aren't green all year, but it, in the, in it, it's very much similar. And so what I've been trying to do is, you know, discourage the ivy and encourage the Virginia creeper to kind of fill that niche of a, of a covering, uh, you know, growing plant. Um, and yeah, I think thinking about where you are in the world and what plants are appropriate. I think we've had a lot of issues with that of like trying to choose just the prettiest plant for our outdoor growing, bringing it from anywhere in the world that we should maybe be more considerate. And right. the ivy's that a good example. Like it looks beautiful. It's great to have something that doesn't lose its leaves in the winter, um, but it has caused a lot of damage. And so, um, yeah, let's let's keep in this continent anyway. Let's keep ivy to the house plants, and then. Yeah. Uh, uh, think about what other plants could serve that niche, which I'm not sure what they are, but that's something a pass I'll go down. I think this Fassendengrün website I uh, I found might be an interesting place to start. 
I also did think of something related to what we said earlier about um, just sustainability and yeah. and living uh, and how people are bringing outdoor plants uh, back uh, with them to climates where maybe they're not thriving. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's a lot of I love plants, but there's, I think, some problems with bringing plants from far away Mm -hmm. to, you know, there's shipping and logistics, uh, taxing the global system. And um, with houseplants, that's also a big issue, which is a lot of people importing and exporting like, you know, rare or tropical plants uh, into, you know, North America or Europe. um, And Basically, when you want to get an exotic plant, or if you want to get um, a specialty plant, house plant, mm-hmm. you do a lot of the easiest way is to have it imported or mm-hmm. go on Etsy. And uh, a lot of the plants that are for sale on these marketplace sites are coming from abroad. They're coming mm-hmm. from sellers, the global sellers. Mm-hmm. And um, me, I'm personally a person personally i uh i want to reduce my environmental footprint um i snip this monstera all the time uh i even snip my uh rare and uncommon plants that i collect because Mm -hmm. they grow and Mm -hmm. i prune them to be beautiful and that person who is looking on um on etsy for a, a plant that comes from abroad you know, what if they could connect to another person obsessed with tropical plants who maybe grows them near yeah. them or, yeah. um, that's a good know, point too. Cause I, I was thinking about that too, of, of, you know, the, they have this resource that's nearby and, and people like these rare things, which is, which is cool. But sometimes, you know, I don't think you necessarily know, like the, the story of that plant coming abroad, there's probably some issues of even like sustainable harvest. I imagine with yeah. some poaching, poaching, which, yeah, which is a major issue. But if you're, if you're, you know, going over to Shirley's house and saying, "Hey, can I have a snip of your of your monstera?" That's not that's not an issue. So I think, yeah, thinking yeah. it's that thinking locally, which I never thought to apply it to this like yeah. houseplant thing. But yeah, that's really a great point. Yeah, and I think we have uh, spaces that, um, for example, a, a focused and dedicated space like Choosy to really talk about your obsessions, uh, mm-hmm. like plants, um, and figure out, you know, where all the plant lovers are and look into your collections. Hey, what do they have? Is it something that I want? Uh, and where are they? And I think that is a sense of mutual aid that can really be like an alternative to me just looking, uh, across a million Google listings for, or eBay listings being like, okay, where can I get this plant? It has to come from Hawaii. It has to come from uh-huh. Indonesia. Um, whereas, and I talk about dedicated spaces because on LinkedIn, no one cares about my plant collection. And I don't know <laughs> what, I don't know what they collect on, on Facebook, my friends and family also, uh, you know, they're not, you know, looking into my collection. So having that space to, to network, uh, in a a passion community, you know, and show people your collection. I always want to show it off. Yeah. Yeah. I, that, yeah, that's a great idea. Um, they can get it from me. Yeah. Well, well, thanks Shirley for joining today. Thanks for uh, teaching me more about Monstera. You know, maybe I'll start seeing what I can do with these cats and that plant because you really got me interested in it. And also thanks for letting me uh, share about Ivy with you. Amazing. Ooh, I can't
that is Taylor Swift singing about the potential issue of structural damage from ivy growing on walls. Well, I really enjoyed talking with Shirley about Monstera Deliciosa and English ivy, and uh, Shirley kind of has opened my eyes a little bit more, I think, to houseplants, so I think I'm going to pretty soon attempt to grow some houseplants, as long as I can keep them away from these cats I have. It sounds like a really enjoyable hobby to do plants indoors, which I haven't done as much, so... Thanks, Shirley. A couple notes about Monstera Deliciosa that I looked up after a conversation. One is that we were a little bit unclear about where Monstera Deliciosa is from, and it turns out it is from southern Mexico down to Panama, so kind of that whole tropical region there. And the other thing I wanted to look up is more about the fruit of Monstera Deliciosa, and it looks really fascinating. Google a picture, Monstera fruit, sometimes it's also called Seriman, or sometimes it's called uh, Costilla de Adan, which means Adam's rib, which I'm not quite sure why that is. If you know, please send me a message. Um, but it's a really interesting fruit. It kind of looks like a weird green corn cob that's like covered in scales. And then when it's ripe, apparently the scales fall off and it looks like there's these little soft, almost like corn kernels. But it's a very soft fruit that kind of tastes like pineapple, I guess. It's in that kind of... Um, in that kind of breadfruit family. In fact, sometimes it's called Mexican breadfruit. And some people call it the fruit salad fruit because apparently it tastes like a fruit salad just by itself. Um, So that is super fascinating. I really want to try one. However, I did read that it's very uncommon for monstera plants to flower indoors. And so you probably do need to go somewhere tropical to find uh, the fruit of the monstera plant. But apparently they are being grown in Florida. So if you're in Florida at the right time, uh, try to find that. I'm going to do, do that. I really want to try one of these. They look so fun. So yes, thanks again for Shirley for uh, introducing me to that idea because I had no idea that this common houseplant produces this really cool fruit. One word of warning is a best apparently, and, and Shirley mentioned this a bit too, you need to wait for the fruit to be completely ripe to eat it because otherwise the amounts of oxalic acid in the fruit are very high and it can burn your mouth. But when it is ripe, apparently it is very, very tasty. My guest on this episode of Rootbound was Shirley Yu. Shirley is a New York-based photographer and also the founder of Choosy, a mobile app for following your favorite collectors plus shopping from their collections. You can see some of Shirley's photography work at her website, which is shirleyshotyou.com. That's Y-U, as in her last name. And you can learn more about Choosy at the website choosy.us. That's C-H-O-O-S-I-I dot U-S. Rootbound is hosted by Steve Ellington. That's me. Music by Christian Kriegeskota. Fake ads by David Lani. Rootbound is a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside, but if you got a lot of houseplants, maybe that's not so bad. It's water from the sky!